If you're joining us for the first time today, welcome. We just started into a new series on the one another's. Uh, love one another, greet one another, serve one another, those kinds of expressions that are found in the New Testament. And would love for you to jump into this with us. Uh, there are 14 distinct one another expressions in the Bible, and we think they're very instructive. Some of them are repeated multiple times. They'll sound familiar to you, but we, we want to learn uh, as we go through this study what it means to treat one another in a manner that reflects the gospel of Christ. We, we would also say coming out of this study, I think that the apostles are convinced that Christianity is highly relational. It is incredibly important to learn how to treat one another. They discovered that from walking with Jesus himself. So to have a dynamic, healthy relationship with your brothers and sisters in Christ, it's not optional. It really is essential. Uh, salvation is personal, yes, but it's never private. Now, the Bible doesn't speak of it that way. The whole Bible teaches that we are a people saved to a community. We are saved to a family, uh, saved to a fellowship. We're saved to this new thing God is making called the church. And so learning about the one another's is a really important aspect of the Christian life. So we can group the one another's into five clusters. Uh, last Sunday, we looked at the first cluster, uh, a grouping that centered on interest and care uh, and, and, and warmth, greeting, acceptance, and hospitality. Those are what we talked about last Sunday. Today, we want to talk about a second cluster of the one another's, and that is serve one another and bear one another's burdens. In Paul's mind, to serve one another and bear one another's burdens, those two things fit very tightly together. We serve one another, and in the act of service, something really magical happens. Something beautiful happens. Our bond strengthens. The well of trust begins to deepen. And, and then that service endears us to one another when we find ourselves far more likely to step into one another's lives and bear one another's burdens and even let others bear our burdens with us. And that's a hard thing to do. We'll start with serve one another. And I want to ask three questions about service. What is it? What is its proper motivation? And why is it good for us? What does it mean to serve one another? What drives that service? And why is it life-giving to us? Let's think about those three uh, aspects of service. And if you'll join me in chapter 5, verse 13, we'll start there by just looking at that expression Mark those words, chapter 5, Galatians 5, verse 13, serve one another. Do you see that phrase? I want to encourage you to look at that, mark it, really dial in on it. Paul says, through love, serve one another. What's he talking about? What does he mean by service? He's probably not, uh, he doesn't have in mind, he doesn't have in mind some sort of spiritual, heavenly kind of thing. He really is thinking about physical work, and service. I think what Paul means by serve one another is devote your energy toward helping one another in physical, tangible ways. Remember, the early Christians spent a lot of time together. They lived in close proximity to one another, shared things, depended on one another. Paul's probably thinking about things like meals, home improvement projects, physical sickness, 
caring for one another and, and, and as people convalesce and recover, serving one another. He's thinking about the very same kinds of things that you and I would think about if we were simply trying to help one another through the challenges of life. So if you want to train yourself to be less self-centered, you'll notice the text speaks about the flesh, right? If you want to train yourself to be less self-centered, give less opportunity to the flesh, Paul says, serve one another. Look for daily opportunities to serve one another every single chance that you get. If somebody drops something, you should be the first one in the room moving to pick that thing up. Uh, if you're in line getting food, you should be serving someone else's plate first, right? Uh, you should offer drinks to other people before you get your own. If your neighbor needs help and you see him needing help, you should step in and serve. I think Paul has real simple acts of service in mind here. And, and he learned this from Jesus. This is an essential of the Christian faith. Jesus taught us, whoever's gonna be great in my kingdom, you remember this passage, whoever's gonna be great in my kingdom must be, what does he say? A servant to all. For even, and then he goes on to say, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life away for many to give his life as a ransom. Jesus, uh, Jesus helps us interpret exactly what it is Paul has in mind here when he says serve one another. Jesus takes the world's concept of service, which often dehumanizes people and uses people, and he flips the script. He, he, he reverses the world's values all the way down to the simple act of being willing to serve one another. Are you experiencing tension in your house these days? in the midst of this exile, we are. Uh, if you're experiencing tension and frustration at home, one of the best, it, this is just so counterintuitive, but I'm telling you, it will work. One of the best things you could do at that moment is to choose to serve someone else. Wake up the next day and say, you know what, I'm not gonna start my day with what do I need to get done today, but how can I help my spouse today? And express that to him or her. How can I bless my children through a simple act of service today? What you're gonna find is very much like what happens when we say, hey, if you pray for somebody, it's hard to be mad at them, right? You know what I'm talking about? It's exactly the same with service. If you're experiencing tension and frustration these days, choose to embrace the gospel by serving one another and watch that tension begin to disappear. Service has a beautiful, almost magical effect on the relationship that is experiencing tension. So, what does it mean to serve one another? It means, in just a sentence, I would say it means to redirect your, your energy away from yourself and towards somebody else in the simple, everyday things of life. Now, what's the motivation? Let's think about that. What, what is the motivation of our service? What, uh, there's all sorts of things that could motivate our service, but what's the proper motivation for service? Look at verse 13 with me uh, and, and see if you can find it in verse 13. It's kind of embedded and hit, almost a little bit hidden there. Paul says, but through love serve one another. The, the, it's, it, it's not just the, the means, he uses the word through love, it's not just the means, it's the motivation, right? It, love is the motivation for serving others. True love will guarantee that we serve for the right reason, not just to get something back out of a deal, which we're so good at. So Paul here is echoing the teaching 
that Christ, uh, Paul here is echoing the teaching of Christ that the whole law can be summed up in one word, to love, to love God and to love your neighbor. And I'd like to take a second and pause here and clarify what, uh, what verse 14 does not mean. Because uh, I think there's a fair amount of confusion about, about what it means to love yourself. Some people will say, uh, see here, it's in the Bible. Jesus said, love your neighbor as you love yourself. Or Paul says here, love your neighbor as you love yourself. So self-love must be a good thing. I think that misses the point entirely. No one needs to love himself. No one needs to learn or be taught. No one needs to be instructed to, to discover how to love himself or herself. That's just not how it works. Not on this side of the fall. In fact, on this side of Genesis 3, we love to love ourselves. And, and the whole tenor of Scripture is to draw us out of that and into a better, more beautiful way of life. Verse 14 is not a call to love ourselves. Verse 14 is like a captain's command to full throttle reverse, like full throttle in reverse, redirect this toward God, toward this love, toward God and toward other people. Outwardly, not inwardly. The Bible never calls, listen, the Bible never calls us to serve ourselves, prefer ourselves, honor ourselves, nor to love ourselves. I think scripture is very clear about that. Yes, biblical wisdom includes good self-awareness, self-appraisal, even, I think, self-acceptance. But we are never taught to set our affection and interest and drive on ourselves. That's the clear, I think, teaching of scripture. If you drop down to chapter five, verse 22, you'll see this love at work, right? It, the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness. It's producing these things. Love thinks kind thoughts, performs good deeds, is faithful, dependable, never greedy, never grasping. Love is never possessive. To love someone truly is not to possess that child or that spouse or that friend, but to serve freely and to bless that person for his or her own best interest, not mine. And that brings us to why serving others is so good for us, right? Serving others is so good for us because of what it does for us and inside of us. It brings freedom. Look back at verse 13. What does serving others do? It brings freedom. Look, for you were called to freedom, brothers. You were called. God has called you to freedom. He's enabling your freedom. How's he enabling your freedom? By, by ser through service. When you serve other people, you train yourself to discover true freedom, human flourishing. When you serve others with no strings attached, with no expectations, you don't need credit, you don't need recognition, you're not waiting around for that high five or that pat on the back or that praise. When you're even willing to be misunderstood, when you're even willing to be misunderstood and mislabeled, now you're ready to experience true freedom. Now you're ready to no longer defend yourself, to not let your conversation die the death of a thousand qualifications. 
but really experience flourishing and peace and freedom. It will be like a cool breeze coming down from Bent Mountain into your soul. And it'll just be so life-giving when you serve in that way. On the other hand, if you use this so-called freedom you have in Christ, and people do that with, with the Bible, they do it with religion, they do it with their Christianity, uh, you can do it with church attendance, you can do it with moralism, you can do it in all sorts of ways. If you use this so-called freedom you have in Christ to live however you want or to impose your legalism on other people, what will happen is you'll end up serving yourself and loving yourself and ultimately destroying yourself. Now let me show you that in the passage. Paul's talking about the flesh and the contrast between the freedom of serving others versus the freedom of serving self or, or being pulled toward your flesh, right? He's drawing that contrast out from verse 13. And in verse 15, it's very vivid. He, he says, if you live the other way, you'll end up biting and devouring one another. Now, there's a one another in the Bible you don't want to participate in, the cannibalizing of one another. You'll end up biting and devouring one another and be consumed by one another. That's a really powerful image. As I read this passage, the main thing keeping me from freedom and shalom and wholeness is what Paul calls the flesh. In other words, my own selfish desires. Let me illustrate it uh, with one of my favorite uh, theologians and pastors of the Reformation period, Martin Luther, who was an Augustinian monk who just was awakened to the grace of God in Christ. Luther, in his lectures on Romans, says this. He said, the Bible describes mankind. He, the Bible describes us as so curved in on ourselves that we not only use physical but even spiritual goods for our own purposes and in all things Seek only self. Wow, that is an arresting image. Luther says, it's like we are curved in, I'm curved in upon myself in, a, in sort of a grotesque distortion. Think of a grotesque, distorted creature. Think of, think of Gollum or Medusa or some other grotesque creature. Luther says, the fall has produced in us such a distortion that we have grown with this sort of distorted inward curvature that, that turns us into grotesque creatures who only seek our own best interest. We not only use physical goods and gifts that God has blessed us with, right? But also we use spiritual things for our own purposes and in those things only seek self. That is a profound awareness. What Luther's saying is that despite our best efforts, despite our best efforts to get beyond ourselves, we can never really trust our motivations. And he cites Jeremiah 17, 9, right? The heart is deceitfully wicked, desperately wicked. Who can know his own heart? And so the Apostle Paul here is moving us away from self, not toward self. The more I turn in on myself, the more enslaved I become, the more likely I will be to cannibalize myself and, and devour myself and not discover the life-giving beauty of freedom and service and love and blessing. The Apostle Paul could say this, though I am a free man and not anyone's slave, 
Listen, don't you love this passage? Though I am a free man and I'm no one's slave, I have made myself a servant to all. Why? So that I might win as many to Christ as possible. Though I am free from all, I, am, I make myself a servant of all. Why? To embody the service of Christ so that the gospel might come alive in other people's lives. So serving others frees me from this claustrophobic world of myself. Uh, now, I want to show you, it also does one more thing, and I, I think this is really significant for us, especially as a, as a body of Christ, as a church family. Uh, when we serve one another, and it, in, it not only endears us to one another, but it draws us further into one another's lives, and, and from that comes a desire to bear one another's burdens and to let others bear our burdens in return. So serve one another in chapter five and bearing one another's burdens in chapter six are not just conveniently located near one another in, in, in the text. They're tied directly to each other by the, by the language of the text. Let me show you this. Look at verses one and two with me. Brothers, if anyone is caught in transgression, in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you also be tempted bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Mark that phrase, the law of Christ. What is the law of Christ? Now here's the, here's the link I wanna show you. Go back to 514 and tie law of Christ in verse two of chapter six to chapter five and verse 14. What is the law of Christ? To love your neighbor as yourself. The law of Christ is synonymous with love of neighbor. Why would love of neighbor be called the law of Christ? Because Jesus Christ is the ultimate unsurpassable example of a love that serves and takes the interest of someone else as more important than his own. His life and death are the supreme embodiment of what neighbor love is. So the law of Christ is to love your neighbor more than yourself. Tim Keller writes, law of Christ means modeling my whole life on the example of Christ. It is a life centered on a person rather than a code. We have a different kind of obligation upon us than we did before. Now we bear one another's burdens because Christ bore ours. Verse two could be translated, bear one another's burdens and by doing this, follow in the footsteps of Christ who bore yours. What a beautiful thought. Look, Paul has in mind the weight and burden of a sin struggle. That's pretty clear in verse one. He's talking about something serious. Bearing one another's burdens uh, can be a very serious and sobering thing. And that calls for deep humility. So that's why this introspection is there. And this, uh, don't think highly of yourself. Don't be deceived, right? Uh, don't be filled with pride or conceit. You should do this with a deep sense of humility lest you be tempted. So yes, you should come alongside of others who are in the midst of deep sin struggle and you should bear those burdens with them. But bearing burdens doesn't start in the deep end necessarily. It could, but not necessarily. Burdens can range from simple responsibilities that have become burdens like physical illness or a family crisis or a job loss, a more sustained problem like a job loss or a marital conflict 
So yeah, Paul's definitely talking about sin struggle here in verse one, but, but I don't think he's limiting to that. I, I, I think he, he has in mind all of these other kinds of things as well. We need to help each other with all of life from simple responsibilities to deep sin struggles and everything in between. I really like the image of burden here and I like it because you, you can't help somebody carry something big and heavy and awkward unless you get in close and, and, you, and you get up in their space and you rub shoulders and, and you, and you kind of find the best place to stand. Only then can you really lift this thing together. There's a leverage that comes through closeness. And that's what Paul's talking about. Paul's talking about, he's talking about leveraging your relationship so that you can really, you could, you could come in next to one another, you could stand together, you could fight with this person on his team, strengthening him, energizing him, helping him to lift the load. Um, that's, what Paul, that's what Paul's trying to convey here. It's a really powerful image. The road is long with many a winding turn, but he ain't heavy. He's my brother, right? That's the kind of stuff Paul has in mind here. Paul's thinking about a a relationship that has grown through service, and now it's just, there's just no question. I see my brother or sister bearing a burden. I move in, and I try to lift with them and help them. And that takes a sense of humility. It takes a sense of a spirit of grace. Well, you don't want to just show up on moving day and take over, right? You need to be gentle and strong and step in close and leverage that relationship under these burdens. Beautiful image. This week in our Zoom group, uh, Whitney made a great observation. She said, I think the reason, she was talking about greeting and acceptance from last week. She said, I think the reason we're so guarded, I know this is true of me, we're so guarded in greeting others is because if we really greet them with interest, we might get pulled into their mess. We might get pulled into the burdens. We might get, we we might have to step further into their storm and we don't want that. We're too busy. It'll take too much energy. It'll take too much time. And then she was just confessing, and we all agreed, but it's, it's so much better than just another evening of binge-watching Netflix. To care about people, to walk with them, to take your time and energy, to bear the burdens of others. Paul says, you will, your life will be so amazing you will experience and taste a freedom that you've never tasted before. So I want to pray for that for us today, that God will help us not only to serve one another and train ourselves in serving by proper motivation of love and grace and and, and care, but also that that service would, would endear us to one another, pull us into one another's lives so close that we would give and receive the lifting of burdens together. So will you pray with me as we close? Father, thank you for Jesus who came in and through the cross leveraged freedom for us. Oh, what a beautiful thought. Thank you for 
the one who bore our burdens on the tree. God, help us to stop saying these silly things like, I don't want to be a burden to you. Or, I don't want to take your time. Or, I, I don't, I don't, I, God, please, help us discover the beauty of serving one another in and through the name of Christ. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.